I've got a new, new notepad. It's very exciting. I may be wrong, but I doubt it. So um, just keep that in mind, please. <laughs> uh, and well done to Helen. I know you do this professionally, but it's got to be hard work keeping this up. So I'm going to try and make it as difficult as I possibly can. We've got some nice Greek words for you to... Uh... No, we haven't. So it's going to be great. Um, we are doing a sermon series we started last week called Where Do We Grow From Here? And really, what we're doing is taking the opportunity as a church... I'm going to try not to block you. It's all right. Come forward. Yeah. Perfect. There we go. Uh, we take the opportunity as a church to stop and really to analyse where we are now. What are the challenges that we face? What are the difficulties? Uh, we're going to stop and think, where are we heading towards? What are we aiming for? And also we're going to take the opportunity to ask the question, what does it mean to grow? For us as the church, as followers of Jesus Christ, what does it mean to grow? And uh, we're going to be picking up these sort of questions over the next, well, we've already done one week. I think we've got about, an, including this one, another five sessions, four sessions, uh, look, five sessions looking at this particular topic. And the title of this morning's sermon is Practice and Principles. Practice and Principles. We're actually following a sermon series has been put together by Reverend Ken Benjamin, who's the current president of the Baptist Union. Every year we have a different president bringing a different teaching. And we're following his sermon series. Uh, slight change. Uh, while I was putting this together, I thought we're not going to do the practice bit. We're moving that to next week, which is... I um, can't remember what it's called. And uh, we, so we can put a cross on your program through practice. And we're going to be focusing on principles uh, this morning. But we're going to be reading from John chapter 14, uh, verses 12 to 21. If you haven't got a Bible, you might want to grab one. The words will appear on the screen, but I'm going to be referring to the passage uh, during the sermon. There's Bibles at the back, or get it up on your Bible app on your phone. That is absolutely fine. So John chapter 14, uh, verses 12 to 21. And I'll follow the words on the screen. 12 to 21. Chapter 14, 12 to 21. There we go. These are the words of Jesus talking to his disciples. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. If you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will send to you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognise him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be with you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father. And you are in me and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. 
And because they love me, my Father will love them and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. What version was that, Susan? <laughs> I think it was New, LL, New Living Translation. Okay, I was using an IV, but that's fine. It's great. Just confused me when I read it and the words weren't quite the same. But I'm going to refer to the NIV version, uh, just in case uh, you're wondering. Um, I don't know about you, but I get really nervous about travelling places. This stems right back to when I was a child. I used to get really nervous, really anxious, whenever there was any change of routine, and particularly when it revolved around travel. I remember when I was at high school, uh, we lived on one side of Ipswich, and my high school was on the other side of Ipswich, and usually my mum would take me in the car, because she taught in a school that was nearby to my um, school. But one morning, I can't remember why, it's probably about 11 or 12, she couldn't drive me, so I had to catch the bus. And I got so anxious... I was sick on the bus, which is never advisable. It's not pleasant for them and it's not great uh, for me. And I used to get really anxious and I still get very anxious about travel. Recently, uh, as I was mentioning last week, I I, I flew uh, to visit some uh, friends of ours from here uh, to another country and uh, I was really anxious about going on the plane uh, on my own. And however much I tell in my head, it's okay. I still feel it, in usually in my stomach, uh, this anxiety. And just to set a context of this passage of chapter 14, we have at the in chapter 13 we have Jesus telling his disciples that he's going to die. He's going to be betrayed. They're going to go to Jerusalem, and things are going to go seemingly terribly wrong. He also tells his disciples he predicts that one of them is going to betray him, that Peter is going to betray him, deny him. So you can imagine disciples aren't particularly happy about this. And at the beginning of chapter 14, the first words Jesus says to his disciples, having revealed these revelations, he said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Then he starts talking about this destination, this place that he's going to. And he says, don't worry, I'm going to prepare loads of rooms for you. My father's house has got loads of room in it. I'm preparing a place for you. Don't worry. Basically, he's talking about heaven, isn't he? Often used this at funerals. This is a common uh, passage for funerals when we talk about uh, Jesus preparing a way. So are disciples pleased about this? They're like, yeah, okay, we're sorted, we're okay. Are they not worried? Not one bit. Straight away, they're asking questions. And Thomas says, look, we don't know where you're going. How can we... How can we know the way? And Jesus tries to say, well, I'm the way, the truth and life. Don't worry about it. And then another disciple who might be Philip says, Lord, show us a father. That'll be enough. They get all worried about it. We can't, you say you go to the father. Well, who is the father? And Jesus says, we, if you look at me, you see the father. They're really worried and concerned. But what he's trying to get to the disciples is you don't need to worry about where you are going or how you are going to get there. That is for me to sort out. And we know, reading back at this story, that through Jesus' death and resurrection, through grace, was it like that? Grace, excellent, which we were singing about in the song, this help from heaven, we do not need to worry about where we are going or how we're going to get there. Because Jesus has made a way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Whoever trusts in him, We don't need to worry. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, don't worry about it, don't be anxious about it, forget about 
that bit. Forget about the heaven bit, the afterlife bit. Actually, you have got plenty to focus on in the here and now. I have got a job for you to do. Because when I'm anxious, when I'm worried, I just can't focus on anything in the here and now. I'm too busy planning for the journey. I remember I was at a conference on Wednesday, a really good conference, but towards the end of it, because it was in London, I had to catch the train, towards the end of it, I couldn't really concentrate because I was so busy thinking about what time's the train? Is it going to be okay? Where, how am I going to get back? Jesus says, don't worry about it. And this morning, what we're going to do is look, focus on our mission here on earth. And we're going to just three basic principles, three basic simple truths that I believe Jesus wants us to take into our hearts to go and do the job that God has for us in the here and now. Three things. First one, keep it nice and simple. Love leads to action. Love leads to action. This is a vein running through. In verse 12, um, Jesus uh, uh, says, I tell you the truth, anyone who is faith in me will do the things I've been doing. In verse 15, it says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. In verse 21, he says, whoever has my commands and obey them, he's the one who loves me. He's basically saying, if you love me, you're going to do what I'm telling you to do, what I'm showing you to do. Now, I have children, as you know, three children. I'm pretty confident they love me. So... Love leads to action. Great, apply that. They should do everything I tell them to do. No, 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 no chance. Thank you. Yes, no chance at all. As lovely as my children are, however much they may love me, every day is a battle to get them to do what I want them to do. And we can be a bit like that. Jesus says, love leads to action. If you love me, you do what I'm telling you to do. And yet... We can say as followers of Jesus Christ, yes, Jesus, we love you. Yes, I follow you. Yes, I'm making you Lord of the life, but I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that, and I'm not doing that. Why? We could be like naughty children. And there are different reasons why my children don't do what I ask them to do. It could be actually just plain and simple, they don't want to. Actually, that comes up a lot. No! That's the Eve's favourite word at the moment. No, I don't want to do that. You may be asking me, even commanding me to do that, but I don't want to do that. So the answer is no. It may be they don't understand. Actually, you know, I'm starting to do, they just don't quite get it. And maybe we don't quite understand what is it that Jesus wants me to do. I'm not trying to be awkward, I just don't understand what it is you're asking me to do. So the answer is no. It could be actually particularly Eve, she's just not listening. She's so focused on doing that that she's not listening to what I'm asking her to do. And maybe that's our problem sometimes with Jesus. is asking us to do something. We're so busy doing something else, we just don't hear. Once again, we're not trying to be awkward, but the answer is no because we're not listening. Or maybe we're scared. See, Ellie, my eldest, is absolutely petrified of taking medicine. She knows that it's good for her. She knows she needs to take it, but it's just a real battle, real battle to get to take any medicine. And last week I talked about um, going out on the streets and doing street evangelism in Hastings. And I say that the thing that was stopping me from doing that was fear. And sometimes Jesus can be commanding us to do something. We know we should do it, but I'm scared. So the answer is no. And yet Jesus is saying, if you love me, 
then you should be doing what I command. Now this word love that Jesus is using here, we use love in all sorts of funny ways. It's a very wishy-washy word. I love Peter, I love my mum, but it's not the same. It's not the same. So in the Greek they had different words, and because we've got a sign, I'm not going to go through what those words are. No, I'm not going to go through what those words are in the original Greek. Hmm? No, that's all right, I wasn't going to anyway, I was just teasing you. Um, but, and work, see, love can sometimes be fickle. It's based on emotions and our, our feelings. And yet the word love here that Jesus is talking about is a conscious decision to do something despite of our feelings, despite of our fears, despite of our not wanting to. Jesus is saying, that love that I'm talking about here, the love you have for me, is a conscious decision to say yes, despite everything else. And it's the same love that Jesus used when he was asked by some teachers of the law, what's the greatest commandment of all the laws that we have? What's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind and your soul and love your neighbour as yourself. That conscious decision to say yes to God. And Jesus is saying, this is, this, is just, this is the greatest commandment. It's not two commandments, love God, love your neighbour as yourself. Actually, it's almost two sides of the same coin. If you love God, that should lead to action, and that action is loving others. It's a choice you make to seek the well-being of others, seeking people's well-being without expecting anything in return. And it's that love that reflects the heartbeat of God's. Because it's while we were still sinners that Christ died for us. God loved us first and demonstrated that through Christ dying for us. He didn't wait for us to love him. How do you love people that you don't even like? How do you love people that hate you? That's the litmus test. That's the indication of what sort of love you have. Because if your love is driven by emotions and likes and dislikes, that's not the love that Jesus is talking about here. It's a love that's a conscious decision to do the best regardless of what it's going to cost you. That should be the driving force behind what we are doing as a church. Love for Jesus leads to actions. But... We can have a problem here because we can be paralysed by that. He says, well, I'm not going to do that until, I, until I, I love. You know, I'm not going to help the poor until I love the poor. So, Lord Jesus, give me a heart for the poor. I, want, I know I need to go out and feed the poor, look after the poor, you know, whatever it is. So, Lord Jesus, give me a heart. And when you give me a heart for that, then I will step into that. And we can feel paralysed. I want to say it doesn't quite work that way. Leslie. Just, are you okay to quickly share something that you said on Thursday? Mute disabled, do you? Um, yeah, God's quite surprised me recently. Um, two things that I've been doing recently. One is going to the Friday night service and the other is um, running the Alpha course. And... In both cases, I just set out with the Friday night service to go along, see what was happening, just enjoy the Friday night service and you know, see what God might be saying to me. Um, with Alpha, you all know about Alpha, it's obvious, you know, and I'm, I'm organising that and hoping it's all going well. But what God's, God has done with me is he's really done something in my heart. 
that I didn't set out to see happening and I didn't know he would do it. And he's given me a real love for the people at the Friday night service and a real love for those on the Alpha course. And I can't explain it, it's just it's something God has done um, because I, I see them differently and I have a real care and concern for them. Um, I found myself waking up in the night praying for one of the people on the Alpha course that I barely even know, but I believe that God was saying, this is how I see that person, and it was he was conveying it to my heart, and I was actually feeling it. It brought tears to my eyes. Um, and I suppose, yeah, that's doing the action first, and then the love comes. Thank you, Leslie. That's perfect. Thank you. It's a love that says yes to God. It's a, yes, it's a yes that leads to action. It's an action that brings about love. Actually, Leslie, by saying yes, doing something, organising something, doing something practical, actually has become emotional for her because God has touched her heart and brought about love. So love leads to action. Second thing, we have huge potential. We have huge potential. So as a, as a father with three children, I want my ceiling to be their floor. I want my ceiling to be their floor. In other words, you know, the, height, the highest heights I can reach, the best I can be, I want that for, to be, for my children to be their starting point in life. I want it to be a launching pad to even greater things. I want my children to be better than me in every aspect. And Jesus says to his disciples in verse 12, you are going to do greater things than I'm doing. You're going to do greater things than I'm doing. First of all, what are those things he's talking about? He's talking about his ministry. He's talking about his personality. He's talking about the miracles he performed, the teachings he gave, the freedom he offered to people. That's the things What does Jesus mean by greater? Can we be greater than Jesus? I mean, Jesus rose people from the dead. I believe that we can do that. I believe that Jesus is calling us to perform miracles, to do amazing things. But I don't believe that we're going to do greater things than Jesus in terms of quality. Also, I don't believe that we're going to do greater things in terms of quantity. I think what it's referring here to is in John's Gospel from which this passage is taken, everything Jesus was doing was called signs. These miracles, turning water into wine at the wedding in Cana, was a sign pointing towards the fact that Jesus was bringing about the kingdom of God. That through his death and his resurrection, he opened the door and he brought God's kingdom into this place. What he was doing was pointing towards that reality. What Jesus' disciples were going to do and what we can do is bestow the blessings. I've got to read this because I want to get it right. Bestow the blessings and power of the kingdom of God upon people which the death and resurrection of Jesus let loose in the world. Jesus was pointing towards something. What we're offering is that reality of the kingdom of God in the here and now, that we can access something of heaven and bring it into our daily situations and bring it into the lives of others. And that can be through prayer. It can be the way we talk to people and treat people. It can be through miraculous things. 
We're not doing greater things in terms of quality than Jesus, but we're bringing the reality of the kingdom of God into people's lives now. And in verse 13, and this says something really important about the power of prayer and the necessity of prayer in our mission as we go out into, as love leads into action. Jesus says, if you ask anything in my name, you're going to get it. Ask anything in my name and you are going to get it. Now you think, well, that's pretty good. Quite like a new car. I'll ask for that in Jesus' name. Oh, I quite like a holiday in Barbados. I'll ask for that in Jesus' name. And the problem is that the name of Jesus could be like a, a Christian version of abracadabra. And if I just attach the name Jesus to something, well, I'm going to get it because it says it here, doesn't it? We were talking, was it last year about the prosperity gospel and how that kind of factors in it a little bit? And yes, I do believe that God wants to bless us. But actually, Jesus is not a magic word. Some secret formula is going to give us everything that we want. Jesus isn't a genie in a lamp who has to grant us our wishes. When we ask for things in Jesus' name, what it means when we put Jesus, connect Jesus with it, is we are asking for things that reflect Jesus' character and his ministry. And we're asking for things that bring glory to the Father, that are carrying out God's will. We're saying these are the, while attaching Jesus' name to it, we're saying this is in line with what, who Jesus was and what Jesus did. This is the, this is the, this is the type of prayer we're, not just any, any old thing, this is the stuff that Jesus would want. It's in line with Jesus' desire and purpose to bring glory to his Father. We can do amazing things. We can be Jesus in our situation. Because if we're doing his ministry on earth, he's going to be there with us. And that brings us to our last point. We are not alone. I liked in that Psalm 23 we saw video, it says, We are not out here alone, the Lord's my shepherds. And Jesus has just told his disciples in chapter 13 that he's going to leave them. He's going to be betrayed. It's all going to go terribly wrong. But he wants to say to them, I am not going to leave you as orphans. In verse 18, verse 16 says, I'm going to leave something with you. A counsellor, an advocate as it was in the version we had up there. It can be a comforter, it can be a guide or a teacher. It's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. A Spirit that replaces Jesus' physical presence with his disciples and gives them something so much greater in some respects they can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Not only his disciples, but you and me who follow Jesus can be filled with the Holy Spirit. This promise to always be with us, to comfort us, to guide us, to help us to know what is false and what is truth. A spirit that speaks in favour of us. The word they use here is paraclete. And we did, I know as a church you did... A, a um, series on paraclesis, which is about caring and pastoral care. It's the idea that, that we can bring comfort, just as God brings comfort by his Holy Spirit. And this paraclete, this spirit, mirrors Jesus' ministry. What Jesus did, this paraclete does as well through us. So I'll just leave you with three questions as we come to 
an end. Just three things. And there may be more. What I would I'd recommend you to do is go home and read chapter 14. Just take your time. There's tons of stuff in here. I'm just drawing out three very quick things. Love leads to action. We've got huge potential and we are not alone. But three questions just to ask you. Do you need to move into action? Are you waiting for God to do something? Are you waiting for God to, li- to lay something on your hearts before you actually do anything? Or are you like a naughty child? You don't want to. Well, you don't understand or you're not listening, or you're scared. Do you need to move into action so that God can actually lay something on your heart, change your heart? Second question, do you need to realise what you're capable of? Not in your own strength, not in your own abilities, but because whatever you ask in Jesus' name will be given to you. And lastly, do you need to know that you are not alone? We are not alone. Have you asked these questions about growth and where are we going and and what are we supposed to be doing as a church? Do we realise that we are not alone? We are not being left as orphans. We have the Holy Spirit to comfort us, to guide us, to speak in our favour, to counsel us and also to empower us. Us. You are not alone. Just let's be quiet. And just ask yourself those questions. And talk to God and think, God, what, which one applies to me? I'm just going to read as, as I close. Just Psalm 23, which we saw in the video The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever.